Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of IFN Podcast. My name is Vini Tatan, the Managing Editor of IFN, and I'm delighted to be your host today. In the U.S., digital investment management platforms or robo-advisors are experiencing phenomenal growth. Analysts project that by the end of this year, robo-advisors will manage almost $2 trillion in assets. And while conventional digital investments tower over Islamic, the potential for Muslim friendly robo-advisory services is still immense. At least according to Kuramaga, the founder and CEO of Agas Investments, an Islamic robo-advisor in the U.S. In this episode of IFM Podcast, we speak to Kuram to find out more about the gaps and prospects for halal digital investment management in the U.S. Hi Kuram and welcome to the show. Now today we are going to talk about a very exciting fintech vertical, um, digital investment management, particularly in, in the U.S. So when we talk about robo-advisor, it sounds almost futuristic, but it's actually not because it's a reality now. And in the context of um, the North American market, digital investment platforms and robo-advisors are truly growing in immense popularity. Could you perhaps paint the landscape for us first for our listeners out there? Hi, Vinita. Thanks for having me on this podcast. I'm, I'm excited to be here and looking forward to, to talking to you. Uh, so this is a great question about digital investment platforms and robo-advisors, especially in the, in the U.S. market. Uh, obviously, as we know, Wahid Investments started this trend in the, in the United States a few years ago. And actually, it's, uh, it's interesting timing, actually. The first two robo-advisors, non-Islamic, uh, were Betterment and Wealthfront. And just today, it's actually ironic that we're talking today, Wealthfront, one of the earliest robo-advisors in the United States, got acquired by UBS for $1.4 billion. Uh, so, and this, this just follows on the tail of personal capital, which got acquired by uh, last year for an also a billion-dollar deal. So two robo-advisor or investment management platforms, one just today got acquired. So that just tells you how hot this fintech and the investment management market overall is. There's obviously many other investment advisors like Elwes, which is personally my favorite uh, investment advisor or robo-advisor in the United States. Elwes is designed by women for women. So like we are creating a robo-advisor for Muslims, Elwes is for women because of the many issues that women have faced in saving and investing in the United States for many years. Elwes is solving that problem, which is not unlike what the Islamic robo-advisors like Wahid Investments and ourselves at Agaz are trying to do as well. So in the Islamic space, in the robo-advisors, there's actually only a couple of options in the United States. Obviously, Wahid Investments, as I mentioned, they started this trend uh, uh, three or four years ago, and they have obviously expanded internationally uh, to many parts of the, of, the, of the world, including Malaysia and the Middle East as well. Uh, after that, actually, there are some Islamic asset managers like Sharia Portfolio uh, and Azad and others who do manage funds, but their digital footprint is very minimal. It's, they, they don't really have any robo capabilities, uh, as you would call it. Agaz Investments, which, is, which I'm the founder of, is actually the second 
robo-advisor and the first one actually, which provides goals-based investment strategies for Muslims uh, in the United States. There are many other platforms like uh, some that are just coming up uh, that are providing trading platforms, uh, Sharia screening data, but they are not really robo-advisors, at least at this stage. They're just providing brokerage capabilities. So this is all the, the, the startups that are out there. Zoya, for example, does uh, brokerage and investment management or investment platform. Uh, Musaffa just announced that they will also launch a data a provider and an investment management investment platform or a brokerage platform. Uh, so there's many others that are springing up. But in the overall managed portfolio space, it's still Wahid Investments and Agaz in the United States. Excellent. So you've provided us with a list of names and you've sort of um, explained to us uh, these opportunities with the acquisition, so on and so forth. Are you able to perhaps tell us what do you think is contributing to, to this popularity and, and more specifically within the Islamic finance or Islamic investment space? What kind of opportunities do you see? Are you able to give us some figures in terms of um, opportunities within the U.S. market? Yeah, so I think the main reason that is contributing to the popularity of the digital investment management platforms is just the young customers out there. You know, many customers who are in their 20s or early 30s, they're very comfortable with digital platforms. They use Uber Eats for ordering food. Uh, and, you know, Venmo and PayPal to transfer funds. So for them, managing their savings and managing their investments through a, a optimal app uh, like a robo-advisor is natural. This is very unlike the demographic of an older customer, let's say in their 50s or in their 60s, who are more accustomed to talking to a person, you know, talk to a Ahmed or a Joe right in front of them and discuss their investment strategies like that. So that's a very stark contra contrast between the two customer profiles. And that actually is a reason as more and more young people enter the marketplace, robo-advisory platforms are actually growing more and more popular. Now, I'll tell you a data point from Agaz itself. So we launched last year, and so far, our average customer is actually in their very early 30s, like 31 or 32 years old. That's the average customer for us. And it's interesting that we actually didn't even market to this particular age group. Our main marketing uh, customer profiles were actually younger customers, like 23 years old, 25 years old, and the older customers, uh, like 60 plus or 50 plus, who had retirement accounts and so on. But as it turns out, the median customer age that we have is early 30s. So that is an indication of the right blend of youth as well as enough savings so that they can invest using a digital platform. Now, you also asked for some data points about Muslim economics in the United States. So Muslims have about $120 billion in disposable income annually. An average Muslim household is about 2 million Muslim households in America. That's actually richer than an average American household. So they have more savings after having paid for food and rent and all that. Uh, Muslims also own at least $20 billion sitting in checking accounts in the United States. So these are all figures that indicate that there is purchasing power owned by Muslims in the United States that can be used for saving and investing as well. That's really interesting. I'm curious to know, as far as the customers that you are attracting, are they all uh, Muslims or faith-based investors? Or are you also attracting non-Muslims um, who 
could potentially be attracted by your ethical proposition? Yeah, so we actually do have some non-Muslim customers as well. In fact, some of our very early customers were actually non-Muslim customers. In fact, it's a funny story that the lawyer that I was working with uh, and part of our incorporating our company as a Delaware C Corp and all that, that lawyer actually became our one of the first customers as well, and he's not, not a Muslim customer. So there have been other non-Muslim customers who are attracted to Agaz because of its focus on values-based and ESG uh, portfolios. But a majority of our customers are Muslim because that's primarily who we have been marketing ourselves to. In the future, though, we do not want to just limit ourselves to the Muslim audiences, but while we'll always provide a Sharia-compliant platform, We'll also open it up to a standard values-based or ESG-focused customer as well. Excellent. And as a provider of share compliant digital investment service in a non-Muslim majority market, uh, what are some of the challenges you face in in bringing the product to the market? So uh, it's actually interesting that at least in the United States, I can't really speak about uh, other major markets like Malaysia, Indonesia, or even in the Middle East yet. We are in the early stages of investigating that, so I can't offer an opinion. But in the United States, it's actually become quite easy to launch an investment advisor, uh, especially in the robo-advisory space. Uh, There are plenty of service providers who can help with the SEC registration, uh, with all of the legal infrastructure. Launching a startup in the U.S. is quite democratized at this point. If someone wanted to do it and was willing to put in effort, uh, it's actually not that hard to launch a startup. Now, a startup in the fintech or investment management space particularly. Now, as an Islamic provider, obviously, there are more challenges. So first, the options of creating portfolios is quite limited in the United States. So, for example, we made a choice that we would only focus on ETFs and individual stocks and not mutual funds. That really limits the options that are available for an Islamic portfolio. I'll give you one example specifically. Uh, A major asset class in our portfolios is uh, Sukuk or fixed income asset class. There are some mutual fund products out there, but there's only one ETF, only one in the United States that's publicly traded that is an option for us. And that ETF, is, it's a good ETF, but it has exposure primarily to international sukuks, uh, which, which provides currency risk and so on. But it also, because it's the only option, it actually does not provide the returns that we would expect from Uh, from a publicly traded ETF like this. So those are the challenges in constructing an optimal portfolio for our customer that is Sharia compliant, but also provides, you know, equal returns like the market or doing better than that. That's a challenge. The market, the the options are just reduced. Now, about 36% of the S&P 500 is Sharia compliant according to the AOFI standards. So we could use extensive software like we do to create optimal and diversified portfolios. This is what we do at Agaz. So we create a hybrid mix of ETFs and individual stocks and REITs and precious metals, all to create an optimal and diversified portfolio that provides superior returns compared to the market. In fact, we just did an analysis of our 2021 portfolio performance and our back testing shows that our portfolios, at least the aggressive and the moderately aggressive and the balanced portfolios, they all outperform the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ benchmarks in the United States. And we feel good about that because we strongly adhere not just to the AOFI criteria of Islamic 
compliance, but also some values-based filters that we add on top of that. And even after those, we were able to outperform the market and we feel good about that. But that has also been a challenge for Islamic investment management solutions in the U.S. So this limited universe of investable investment um, assets, how, you, you mentioned how you overcome these potential barriers. What else do you think needs to be done or is required to overcome these barriers and also more importantly to facilitate the growth of Islamic digital investments or even Islamic fintech in the US? This is a good question. So you were asking about how can we overcome some of these barriers? So first of all, I firmly believe that we need new thought leadership, at least in the Western world, for Islamic fintech leaders. And this is, you know, we have, we, we have so much respect for the pioneers of Islamic finance who started this industry in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And they created a framework where, you know, new entrepreneurs like myself can create uh, fintech solutions like these. But I think we need to do more. We need people who have strong Western finance background, as well as Islamic finance background, to be able to provide guidance for the next generation of Islamic fintechs that must come up. Uh, there are some new and coming up people, Joe Bradford at, in, in Houston, uh, Umar Khan in California, the, and there's many more, uh, Usman Umarji, Mustafa Umar. These are wonderful scholars who are educated in the Western world, yet also have deep knowledge of Islamic finance, and they're able to provide guidance and vision for where we should go from here. So that, I think, is, is the number one thing we need to overcome and, or, or accelerate the growth of Islamic finance in the United States. More thought leadership of people who have expertise in Western finance as well as Islamic finance. Now, a little bit more tactically, I think the number one challenge that I have seen, and I've been running Agaz for almost two years, actually a little bit over two years now, uh, the number one challenge I feel is how do we access the 6 million Muslims in the United States? They are very different. They're very diverse group. One strategy does not work for all Muslims. It's not that we can just create a Facebook advertisement and access 2 million Muslims, and therefore we can get adequate eyeballs or impressions to get the right customer traction. Marketing to Muslims in the United States is a huge challenge. And I actually see some companies, there are a few of them that are doing some good work in providing solutions for this, but we need much more. We need better and more creative and innovative marketing solutions using, the, using technology, using not just social media, but more innovative channels in order to market to Muslims. Like maybe we should use you know, the old school snail mail, like the post mail for marketing, I don't know, because there's many more channels we need. Otherwise, our cost of acquisition of customers remains so high that it will be hard for Islamic fintechs to sustain. To me, if I could solve one problem for the Islamic fintech sector in the United States, I would think it is the marketing. How do you access? What's the optimal channel to reach out to all these Muslims? so that we can provide them with the education and literacy that's necessary for Islamic finance and then to convert them into customers as well. That's a very good point, mate. So, Karam, you launched Agas during a very difficult time. Of course, in the last two years, 
and we are still on going through this global pandemic. I'm curious to know how has COVID-19 affected your business, your growth, uh, as well if you are able also to comment on how the pandemic has affected uh, fintech and Islamic fintech in general in the U.S. So it's going to sound uh, a little uh, strange, but for all retail brokerage or fintech startups, COVID actually was, I hate to say it, but a good thing. If you look at all of the brokerages like DriveWealth, which is the broker dealer and custodial that Agaz uses as well, they have seen a tremendous growth in their traction, in their customers and the assets they manage over the last two years during COVID. And that story is true for other brokerages and investment platforms as well. Even if you look at the stock market in the last six to nine months, not counting January of 2022, obviously the stock market in U.S. has been, it's the start, the worst start in six years or so, but it'll catch up. But that's what you'll notice that COVID, uh, pardon me for saying it, was kind of like a blessing for these investment startups or businesses because more people were home, more people had extra time to be uh, experimenting with new investment strategies or platforms so most of the Robin Hoods and Drivewells and others actually gained a lot during COVID. Now for Agas specifically, there was one thing that helped us quite a bit and one thing that really hurt us because of COVID and we've learned this as we went along. So the thing that helped us was, as I mentioned, there was more appetite for retail investments in the last two years than there was the years or two before. More people were available and thinking about app-based or automated investments through COVID that was facilitated a little bit. So that was actually a little bit of a benefit for us. But the negative is that, as I mentioned earlier, marketing is a major challenge for all Islamic businesses, not just finance or fintech firms. Now, one of our strategies was conferences, events, you know, things like that, like visit the local community centers and mosques, attend uh, conventions and conferences. Because of COVID, there was nothing like that for almost two years or 18 months in the U.S. So a major channel of our customer acquisition was actually very limited uh, due to COVID. So that actually caused significant growth hurdles for many Islamic fintech businesses, which relied on some sort of in-person lectures or conferences or events to acquire customers. So that was actually a negative, but I'm hopeful that as you know, all the as the pandemic goes away and the restrictions are lifted, that we'll be able to catch back on all of the in-person events. For example, in Texas, where I'm based in Dallas, there's already uh, a dean intensive happening in University of Texas at Austin. There are some other events that are starting up, which I feel very optimistic about because that's something that I myself, as a startup founder, and overall all Islamic businesses have felt very lacking during COVID. On that note of hope and optimism, we're now in the new year, 2022. What are Agaz's plans? What can we expect from the startup? Let us know. Yeah, so Agaz was launched primarily in the United States. So we are only, we registered with the SEC uh, and our target customers are all based in the US. In fact, we don't even let our app be available outside of the US right now. And there was a very intentional reason for that. Uh, it's that I'm from here and I see the problem 
that most Muslims who care for Islamically compliant investment are, are we're facing. I know personally people who have a million dollars in their checking accounts and they are just not investing because they don't trust the market. They don't trust where their money will go. Uh, so they're just sitting in checking accounts, not taking any interest. And as you know, inflation is at a all a long time high, six percent plus in the United States, and still going up. Looks like, and they also pay their charity and zakat. So overall, as you can see, that's a bad idea. There's limited options in the U.S. for investors like these. So I wanted to solve that problem. So we have been in the U.S. available publicly for about six months or so, a little bit over that. So we're still very early in the U.S. We've acquired a few thousand customers, which I feel very grateful for, and we have. I believe a runway to acquire a hundred thousand customers just in the U.S. alone who are interested in Sharia-compliant, values-based, and goals-based investment strategies. So that's our mission for now: that we will continue to expand inside the U.S. by offering retirement accounts, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, four hundred one k rollovers, all of those uh, these uh, these solutions that Muslims have been asking for. At the same time, we are also expanding internationally in 2022. Uh, we have a short list of markets. What we don't want to do is basically become available in all 190 countries of the world. We want to be a little bit more strategic and intentional like that than that. So, for example, the usual suspects are obviously the UK and Canada, the Middle East, the Southeast Asia, and the South Asia markets also. So we are doing some research on which markets to approach first, and we look for strategic partnerships as well as the regulatory approvals to do that. But my goal is that by the end of this calendar year, Agaz is not only more than 10x what we are in the United States, but we also want to be live and operational in at least two different regions outside of the U.S. as well. And that really is our mission. In addition to that, there's many other things that we are talking to potential customers about or partners about. Now, those are different product offerings, um, expanded financial literacy packages, uh, more creative automation for uh, financial uh, scenarios, uh, B2B opportunities. But those are very early to talk about. We potentially could launch some of those things in 2022, but it's too early for me to, to comment on that. Suffice to say, I remain very optimistic about Islamic fintech in general and Agaz in particular, inshallah, for the next year or many more years to come. Fantastic. And, you know, we at IFN, we wish you all the very best. Thank you so much, Grant, for spending time with us and sharing your opinions and thoughts on the Islamic fintech market in the US today. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.